expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are, boys and girls, at episode 119 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We are not a Comic-Con exclusive. We bring you the good stuff all the time. Dude, how jealous are you of all of the stuff that they have that are exclusive to Comic-Cons from the Grod Pops? We talked we talked about those last week, but from those to now they're going to have the Double Dare set there. I like know, They're going to have a Double I Dare know. obstacle course there and like all these other exclusives. I'm just going to say this. I don't get as upset about variant covers, right. you know, like exclusive variant covers for cons, because I feel like, you know, we go to cons, we can get variant covers. That's not as big of a deal to me, even though some of them are awesome. But when I see stuff like the Grod Pop and stuff like that, I'm like, screw this, man. You know, I need to send an <laughs> operative or something to be able to get this stuff, because this is this is absolutely insane. Well, we do know the guy who does voice Grodd in The Flash as true. a friend. This is true. So he maybe, is a maybe, personal friend of ours. Maybe so. that maybe that's how we do it. I don't know. I'm James <laughs> with him alongside. The Mirth of Warm, Nick Pataglia. Man, last week was really fun talking about Green Arrow and everything that Benjamin Percy's doing with that series. I don't think people understand how good this book is yet. Honestly. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day who was wondering whether or not they wanted to keep Teen Titans in their pull once Rebirth started. And I said, listen to me. I said, have you read Green Arrow? He said, no. I said, do yourself a favor. Read Green Arrow before you drop Teen Titans because the same guy that's writing Green Arrow is writing Teen Titans. But what Benjamin Percy is doing with Green Arrow is giving us maybe the best Green Arrow story ever. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, it's the returning of Oliver Queen back to his roots, what made him so great. And again, finding out, hey, the relationships that you have with these people aren't actual substance-filled relationships. They're more based on money. Like, you've paid for, you've bought friendships, you know? Right, from friendships to cops. I mean, that's the way it was. And then now we see, I think we could talk about this now, maybe a little bit of a spoiler for Green Arrow 2 that just came out. And he was teasing about Diggle. Yeah. In our interview. And guess what? Diggle shows up in issue two, but it's not the warm, fuzzy kind of thing you would think it is. No, and we're not going to get too much into that. I actually don't want to go into that because I want people to be surprised mm-hmm. by it, by how he is written in the book. And him, I just got to say this, man. He he gets it. Benjamin gets it. Like, yeah, he, he does. And, it, and it's, just, it's just an amazing, amazing thing this week, man. And, uh, you know, as you said, all the things that go on with SDCC, we're getting ready for that. And, yeah, it's, it's it's a busy, busy time, man. Really, really busy. I mean, it's going to be busy for us again this week. I mean, we've got a ton of nerd news. Wait till you yeah. see what we're going to be doing for this week in Geektainment. Yeah. I mean, just that's going to be coming up in like maybe 20 minutes or so on the show. It's it's going to be something very... See, we're, we're doing some different stuff lately. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Different things. Very, very different things. Speaking of different things, we're going to be doing some different comics come up next. It's what we're reading right here on the Down Nerdy Podcast. This is Benjamin Percy, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, boys and girls, it's time we pull out those long boxes and we see what we're reading this week. And James, 
It's time that you go first this week. Yeah, I just decided that this week I was going to throw my review away because I decided to review The Throwaways, which is a new series from Image Comics written by Caitlin Kittredge, Steve Sanders. No, not that Steven Sanders. You know, not the one from 90210. No, Steven Sanders is the artist for this book. Rachel Deering did the lettering and the cover by Maiko Kunzunchi. That's the best I can do right there. <laughs> but hey, I butcher names on the show all the time. One of yeah. the things I like about this book right in the beginning is it actually gives you like a textbook definition of a throwaway in a military sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, just going to go ahead and read this. It says, a, dis- a disposable asset used for a single mission is the first definition. The second one is a disavowed assassin meant to die alongside their target. Mm-hmm. which is very interesting. So this book kind of follows uh, uh, two people, one named Dean and one named Abby. Now, Abby is your typical, you know, ex-military. You know, she had a rough time over there overseas, particularly in Afghanistan, which is where she was. And she has a CO that's kind of like her, you know, keep her on the straight and narrow. And Dean has his girlfriend who kind of does the same thing. So they kind of have these parallels, but they don't know each other until about halfway through this book. Right. Now... After I say that, it's very hard because I don't want to give away these massive reveals that are in this book. Especially right towards the beginning. Something happens with Abby and her CO. And to say that it's messed up is not even doing it justice. It's like, wow, you told that story and you did that in this book? Especially with some recent stuff that's been in the news lately. It's like, whoa. And I'm sure this book was written well before that. But it was like, you want to grab somebody's attention really early on. This is how you do it. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I mean, anytime you do something like this, that's military-based or anything else, you know, it's it's really interesting, man. Because it just pulls you in, you know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. And, and another thing that kind of pulls you in is... The backstory for Dean, which, again, I don't want to give away, there's something from his past that basically means that everybody hates him. Hmm. People know him for a certain reason because of something that happened in his past, and his girlfriend is the one that kind of tells him, you know, you don't have to be the person that lives by what happened in your past. You're you kind of thing. Right. Literally, it's in the past. It does not should define who you are. Now, I will say, because I can't really dive too much into the plot, because it's just going to totally screw you wanting to read or not read this book. So I'm going to say this. The art is very good. The art's basically what you'd expect from an image comic. I mean, it's it's very clean. It's very detailed, so very well done. Uh, The writing is actually very good. I thought that it kind of jumped ahead a couple of times, where it's like, wait a minute, did I miss a page kind of thing? Uh, There's a callback towards the end of the book to something that happens in the beginning of the book, but there's no real reference to it being a callback you just have to kind of remember that that happened at the beginning of the book so it wasn't really a clean transition there either i will say that there was something in this book that bothered me about the girlfriend Mm -hmm. and you'll probably if you read this book you'll kind of get a sense of it too it makes sense at the very end of the book that's all i can tell you so if you get that frustration while you're reading the throwaways there is a reason for how she's acting Let me just put it that way. So don't stop reading it because it doesn't make any sense. There is a reason for it. Now, there is kind of a trope in here because I've seen Kittredge kind of do this in other books before. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I definitely want to see where it goes. This I wanted this to be a pull. And I kind of 
wavered between if this was a pull or if it was a pickup. And I decided, okay, if I'm wavering, then it's got to be a pickup. Right. I can't waver on, yeah, this is a pull. No, if it's yeah, a pull, you know? It's one of those things where it's like, even if you were to review a comic and you're like, even if it's like, is it a drop or is it like maybe a pickup? It's like, if you do a review on something and you say, well, there's a lot of certain bumps and certain hiccups, it's not per. It doesn't make it perfect, so it can't really be a pull. Just like if you say, well, this book was bad. I, you know, I right. it's a it's a pickup. You know, I'll give it another issue. You know, the first issue was terrible. You know, it's like you can't. Yeah, it's you know, not it's, like it's, it's either, like- either it grabs you. I know, it's, you know, we have the three comic book rule in certain runs, but again, those are kind of like they're just still measurable. There's still a chance where like a, a book can be bad, and you can say, okay, I don't want. You know, there's no way they can go improve right. issue one. You know, right? It's not like wavering between a drop and a pickup because you know yeah. th- there were there were a lot of very good things about this book. As a matter of fact, Kittredge, I, I give a lot of credit because the writing is very realistic for the characters. Like this real, there's this real douchebag character that's captured perfectly yeah. by Kittredge. Even even Dean's character is written perfectly for what you'd expect. So as far as making the book true to life. I think it, that was done very well in here. I'm just worried that because of what it's about, even though this is image and they're all about originality and I, I've praised them for that in many books, I worry that this might fall into a few traps. Mm-hmm. But I know that with an image comic, it takes a, sometimes it takes a little bit in certain stories to really jump out and say, oh, that's what the story is about. Even if the first book is really good – you don't really get a sense of exactly how they're going to take the story until about issue two or three. So at the very least, I would definitely give this a pickup. If you're a fan of Kittredge, though, this is definitely a pull for you because if you're a fan of that writing and the kind of stories that she likes to tell, then that this is for you for sure. All right. Well, I decided to go back and James, you know, you're older than I am. Did you watch the Six Million Dollar Man when you were growing up? I did. There were reruns of it. I wasn't quite old enough to see it when it was, you know, first on TV live. But, you know, they did reruns in the 80s of everything. So, yeah, I caught some stuff. Sure. (laughs) Okay. So this week I decided to do another Dynamite book. I decided to do the Six Million Dollar Man Fall of Man. Now, of course, again, this is from Dynamite Entertainment. Now, I'm going to start by saying this. The artist is Ron Salas, and his artwork in this, it's very, again, like you said, oh, it's what you expect from an image comic with your book. This is what you expect from a Dynamite comic. It's just, it has that 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 art that you're so used to seeing in a lot of their books. Really, really great. Really, really captures, I think, the spirit of the $6 million man. The colors are done by Mike Etienne, and then the writer is our good buddy, Mr. Van Jensen. Ah, nice. Going back to the Van Man. Yes. And so this book, now I will preface this by saying I've never watched an episode of Six Million Dollar Man. The only thing I know of him literally is uh, just the sound he makes when he jumps, a slow motion jump. Nice. Mostly because it's like, it's in Caddyshack when Chevy Chase is doing all those putts and everything else. Right, right, right. And so anyways, the way this book starts out, you know it's going to be an intense book. When the first page is Steve Austin falling from a burning plane and wreckage is falling all around him. You know, Dynamite has a handy knack for that, too. They're like, so you want to uh, read one of our comics? Here's why you should in right. the first couple in, of pages. In, in a lot of Dynamite's <laughs> comics, too, it's, it's, if there's a theme with Dynamite's comics is, 
is that air travel is very shitty. <laughs> I would not I would not want to get on a plane in a dynamite comic, you're right, at all. I would be walking <laughs> whether, or driving everywhere. Whether it's the Avenger or Steve you know, Steve You could throw the shadow in there. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. not good. Air travel, they're not fans of the Wright brothers. No. But uh no, and what's great is that as Steve's falling, there's like this because you know he's part cyborg, he's got these, you know, cybernetics and everything else. There's a second voice, and it's kind of like this devil on his shoulder. And Steve's kind of like, who are you? And so it's kind of like this second, you know, this, this Mr. Hyde, if you will, of Steve Austin. Interesting. And it's very interesting. And as the book, this is where Van's writing really, really shows, is that Van knows what he's writing. He knows this is a $6 million man, you know? So there are things just from, like, when he's falling from a plane, he's like, be soft, be soft, be soft. And you find out what's on this crate that he latches himself onto. It has a hilarity about it, just the way he writes it. Because it's like, okay, that's very $6 million Manny if you've, if you've watched the show. I know I just said I haven't watched it. But I've, you know, just from other people who've told me about it, you can kind of get that. This is what it's about. And the thing is, too, is he captures the essence of, of it as well. Like I said, when, when he's doing the jumping, he actually writes out the whole, nah, 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 nah. Nice. Like, like, you know, it's, it's, it's the small details like that, which really capture you. And there's this, the second cybernetic guy named Barney Miller, who pretty much, you know, Mr. Blue jumpsuit. If you read the, if you, you know, when you read the book, you know, he's just like, I am better than you. I'm this newer, sexier, sleeker model, you know, kind of thing. And so there's a bit of a rivalry in there between them. But where the writing really grabs you is with this whole second voice in Steve's head. And it's like, there's something about this that isn't right. There's something about where you are and what's going on that isn't right. And so... He goes on this mission, and it turns out the way this ends, looks like Steve Austin's going to be kind of a little bit of a Jason Bourne, if you will. Interesting. Very interesting. And I won't go much into that because it'll, it'll spoil everything that happens into it, but this book, again, somebody who hasn't watched an episode of Six Million Dollar Man, this really just caught me in and really grabbed me. And Van's writing is great. Again, the art, just from, like, you know, everything from, you know, uh, Steve dodging lasers to just the way things are just drawn. It really just feels awesome. It feels really, you know, super spyish, if you will. This is a definite pull for me. Wow. I mean, I, I do actually like that they put Barney Miller in there as well, because that's kind of a reference to Hiller, who was the other $6 million man in the actual show. So you've got that dynamic going there as well. And James, with that, that closes this week and what we're reading. But coming up next... You know, last week's show, we opened up talking about Superman and, you know, Christopher Reeves and who played them best. But somebody who got a chance to play him but never did was Nicolas Cage. What's coming up next? A review of the documentary, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. That's coming up next here on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book artist Annie Wu, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, sometimes, Nick, you know, it's hard to not wonder what if. When we, when we heard about Superman Lives, we started getting intrigued. What would it have been like if Nick Cage got to play Superman? What was the deal with that suit? Well, luckily, somebody decided to make a documentary about the whole process. It was called The Death of Superman Lives. What happened? And, Nick, we actually got to find out a lot. 
about what happened. Well, yeah, and first off, for people who want to watch this documentary, it, if you have Showtime, it is on Showtime. And now this movie came out, and this documentary came out, you know, it was 2015. Remember, last month we went to go see Kevin Smith's panel, and he kind of talked about Superman a little bit as well, and just stuff like that, and the whole DC universe. So let's start with the, the whole idea of Superman Lives. And for people who don't understand what it is, let's give you a quick refresher. So back in the, the 90s, there was, you know, this idea of, hey, superhero movies are still aren't really the most popular things. Nobody really wanted to do them. But, you know, everything that Burton did with Batman, they said, hey, let's see if we can do something like that with Superman. And so Burton was added and hired on to, of course, direct Superman Lives, which was originally, which was originally called Superman Reborn. But as Kevin Smith points out, he didn't like how that stars. He's like, yeah. I want to read, because, you know, Superman Reborn, it's like, it's a reboot, and he's like, I kind of want to continue that kind of thing. Yeah. So I said, Superman lives, you know, and stuff like that. And so, pretty much, it was just in development for years and years and years, and pretty much when it came to, they're like, about what, three weeks from shooting, pretty much, and yeah, starting production it on it? Less than a month, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and the rug just got pulled underneath it, and it never happened, and all the funds actually went to Wild Wild West. Yeah, what great choice. Great choice. So that's pretty much the preface of Superman. Again, Nick Cage is hired to be Superman Clark Kent. But there's a lot of things that we learned, James, about that we probably never learned had it not been for this documentary, like who the villains would have been and certain ideas about it. Now, we know that, of course, being the Death of Superman storyline that they were going to use, that they were going to have Doomsday. They were going to have Brainiac in there as well and Lex Luthor. Now... If you look at some of the concept art for this and what they wanted to do with some of the characters, I don't know about you, Nick, but I was looking at some of the concept art for Doomsday, and I'm like, this is not good. No. Not good not. at all. No, it's not good at all. And, you know, and the idea of Brainiac isn't this droid thing being, he's a head that has spider legs attached to it. No, like, no, this isn't the thing. This doesn't work. No. No. No, it didn't work at all, and 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 the whole oh God, the skull ship, yeah, that they were gonna have Brainiac on. Oh boy, yeah, it's like you're gonna have a flying skull, and basically it was because Peters, who was the uh, John Peters, who was the producer, saw a cover on National Geographic, and that's why he wanted to make the skull ship, and everybody's like, really, this is what we're doing, which was kind of a theme. Right. The documentary, by the way, it was like every time Peter said something, everybody was like, really? That's yeah. what we want to do? Yeah, and Peter was like, when you want to talk about, when you want to look at a movie and say where was most of the problem, it was him. He was the problem because, I mean, I know that they went through, what, like three different writers, Kevin Smith and a couple yep. other guys. Yep. But when you have a producer who's headlocking artists and conference rooms this and is hallways. Not, this is not a metaphor. He was literally no. headlocking people. Uh, and when you're saying, I, and when one of your first things, when they bring you the idea of doing a Superman movie, you say, well, the first thing you tell a scriptwriter who Kevin Smith at the time was, I don't want him to fly because it looks dumb. I don't want him to wear the, the smoke. I want to not have him wear the suit because it looks dumb and everything else. It's like, then why the hell are you working on a Superman movie? And now we will say that in the documentary, Peter says that that wasn't true, but let's, Let's talk about our boy Kevin Smith for a second. Yeah. Anybody who's ever heard Kevin Smith talk, yeah. the details that he puts in to every one of his stories, the dude remembers 
every aspect of his life. I bet he could describe the day he crawled out of his mother's birth canal in painstaking <laughs> detail. So when I say, who do I believe, John Peters or Kevin Smith, I kind of believe Kevin Smith. Yeah. Especially with the giant spider, by the way. Yeah, I think it's, well, yeah, this is a giant spider shows he finally got it in Wild Wild West. Yep. But the problem with him, with John Peters, it was the fact that when he worked on Batman with Tim Burton and they didn't like each other, especially Tim. Tim didn't like him at all. And then they made mention of it, like, why do you think Batman was mostly shot in London and not, you know, where John was in, in California? Because Tim didn't, couldn't work with him. Right. And so you got those two guys now who don't like each other, can't work with one another in the same area. It's going to cause a lot of friction and a lot of problems. Absolutely. And so, again, you look at this whole thing, what they want to do with it, and you had one of the artists who actually left the Matrix to go work on this, and they're like, oh, ooh. Boy. Yeah, that was a mistake. Oh, that had a sting. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. um, But, I mean, it was just one of those movies where, and and I will give John Pierce this cred, though, where he actually was honest in saying this. He said, listen, this movie could have been one of two things. It could have been the greatest movie of all time or the worst movie of all time. Well, one of the things I loved about it was that, remember when we were all talking about it, before we even watched, got a chance to watch the documentary, you know, stuff leaked out, scripts leaked out, pictures leaked out. That picture of Nick Cage in the suit where he's all blurry-eyed and stuff like yeah. that. And he looked, he, they, that was just one of multiple pictures that were taken. That wasn't even a final. And the whole rumor of, oh, it was going to be an electrified suit the whole time no. was not true. There was actually painstaking detail put into multiple suits. Right, and then one of the suits was going to be like this robotic teddy bear, I guess he had, Clark had, you know, yeah, Cal K, had. Yeah, K. Gr- you know, yeah, K, growing up and everything else. And then they were saying like, yeah, there was a point where he pretty much is near death and K comes and like wraps itself around him and becomes his suit pretty yeah, much. Yeah, and the electrified suit was going to be part of the regeneration from right. the Kryptonian stuff, you know, from uh, from the comic. So that's what they were going to do. And they even said that he was going to be in that suit for maybe four minutes. Right. And then once he breaks away from K, there's the new suit kind of thing. So that was one of the kind of rumors that got dispelled. Um, there were a lot of things that, you saw about this when you're watching this documentary where you just can't help but wonder what would Nick Cage have been like as Superman? Like, seriously, yeah, kidding no, aside, the guy's a good actor, okay? I know he's well, been in some crappy he movies. Won, he won an Oscar. He was coming off an Oscar win, I believe. Yeah, it was oh. Living Las Vegas, Yeah, I, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, the guy can act. Let's just put that out there. He's been in some crap movies. So have, so have a lot of people. I mean, look at Ben Affleck, for God's sakes, and he's been a great Batman. Yeah. So... What do you say about what Nick Cage would have been like as Superman? I can only go off of the archive footage that we got to see in the documentary where it was mostly the footage we saw of him was him trying the suit and where he's talking about the cape. And you want to talk about a guy who was, I think, really into the character. Like, he was fascinated and just fascinated when he's talking about the cape. And he's like, it feels, you know, resembling like a child's blanket, you know, like. And, And it's just like, he's going to like that, that, Nick Cage detail of like just about a cape and, and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, you know, because remember, Superman in the 90s, he had the mullet look, he had the long hair and everything else like that. 
it would have been kind of fascinating to see how this would have played out. You and know? it would have been Cage and Burton together, which I think would have been a very interesting combination. But what it wouldn't have been, and maybe one of the criticisms of Superman since Christopher Reeve, is it wouldn't have been that ray of hope kind of Superman. Right. And you know what I mean? The, yeah, it would have been the, the, the kind of the dark, you know, how he did with Batman. And, and going back to the Nick Cage casting, people listening to this probably be like, oh, he would have been bad. It's like, well, remember when Michael Keaton was first bat- casted as Batman and Bruce Wayne, a lot of the articles that were written were, you know, Mr. Mom, really? Like, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mom is yep. playing Batman? Are you shitting me? And look how it turned out. You know what's cool is they also wanted Sandra Bullock as Lois Lane. Right. That would have been really interesting. And I think around that time, she was coming off of, I believe it was like The Net and some other stuff she had done as well, and Speed. So it's like, yep. these are two actors that had a lot of stuff you know, going behind them in the nineties, I think two of the hottest actors and act, and you know, actors, actress in the nineties was Nick Cage and Sandra Bullock. No doubt about it. I mean, they were, they were money makers. They were, you know, your top lists of people in Hollywood. Now, Chris Rock would have been Jimmy Olsen. Man, I, I don't know how that would have worked. It definitely would have brought the comedy to it for sure. But in a Burton movie, Chris Rock in a Burton movie, I'm like, how would that go, you know? Right. Because Tim Burton's always going to be Tim Burton. Love him or hate him. Tim Burton, in every movie that he does, brings his style into it. So to see what he would have done with this cast in this movie, if John Peters would have left him the hell alone. Right. Would have been very interesting. And, and they also, Tim Burton, you know, he loves monsters. He loves the old monster movies. He loves horror. So one of the things he said was, he's like, hey, Brainiac, so he's this collector kind of guy. So he had, like, all these artists just draw all these different monsters, and he wanted him to ha- be part of the ship and everything yeah. else like that. Basically, and, anybody that drew a monster in the last 15 years, they brought in to draw a monster for this movie. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you look at this, and... I think, if, as you said, if Burton was left alone to his own devices, if 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 it wasn't for John Peters, I think this would have been fine. I think it wouldn't have been an issue. But then they said, you know, this. But then they said, you know, at the time, Warner's just had these plethora of just bomb after bomb after bomb. They just went. There was just. Yeah. And so I said that what led to it being pulled too was, I mean, outside of the numerous writers and stuff like that, they said it was the fact that Warner Bros. wasn't having much success financially at the box office and that's right. what kind of caused the budget to then be like listen man we got we, we, we we're gonna try to make this like huge push with wild wild west we think it'll be good so all your money is gonna go towards this project and of course it backfired on them and so it's just one of those things where you watch it you just kind of like and you, you know you see that when he's asking when uh john schnapp who of course is the documentarian in this and he's asking him you know tim burton like about that Superman just, you know, directing it and everything else. He's like, man, why do you want to make me cry? Like, ask me when I'm, like, 90 years old and, yeah. like, near death, you know? Because it's just, it pains him, you know? Because it's, it's... I mean, if you put, like, three years of your life into something like this and something this epic and then it doesn't happen, I mean, yeah, I could see And that's it. the thing, too, is you got to realize that back in the 90s, like, back in the day, before there was an MCU... It took these superhero movies three to five years to be made. Whereas when you see like Doctor Strange, like, oh, it's done in like a year or two years. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's like a lot went into this. And it's just, it was, again, I was looking at this. There are times in the documentary where I'm like, this movie could have been good. Like, like right. you know, Superman, Superman Lives. It could have been, it seemed pretty interesting. And then they would introduce some sort of character or element to it. You're like, yeah, this would have been a very 
overdone piece of shit. To me, it seemed like right when it looked like it was going to be a movie that I would want to see, John Peters walked into the room and said, we're not doing that. I want to do it this way. And that's what derailed it for me. But if you're somebody who's seen the documentary and you've, and you've seen all the things about this movie and, and you just are so glad it didn't get made, you can thank Major League Three. You can thank Fire Down Below. You can thank Steel. You can thank The Postman. All these movies that bombed say, at Warner Brothers. Can I just can I just say I I, I have a copy of Shaquille O'Neal's Steel on VHS. Do you really? I, I do. You know you could probably sell that for like quadruple what you bought it for at this point <laughs> so, because so who has you, that so ever? Saying I can sell it for five dollars. Pretty saying? much, yeah. <laughs> there was actually an article on social media not too long ago that uh, VHS tapes that people don't realize are worth a lot of money. I mean, what are you going to do? Tell me next that you've got a copy of the old Supergirl movie on VHS stashed away somewhere? I actually do. Wow. And I thought I had a lot of old VHS <laughs> Thank my I think, I think I actually have half of the movies that bombed from Warner Brothers that made sure Superman <laughs> Lives didn't get but made. That's great. Like, <laughs> like these movies, that's kind of like why I wish Superman Lives happened because... It was just great just have a night where you can sit down with your wife or you know I can sit down with whomever and 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 you can just be like hey, let's just watch terrible superhero movies and just 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 pop in the VHS or if you transfer to DVD just yeah. let's just sit down and just watch these horrendous things and just take them for what they actually were. <laughs> it's, it's funny because after I watched it, I was putting something away in the, in the room where I keep my DVDs because I've got a ton of them and I've got this big shelf. And I was putting something back that I'd loaned to somebody. I looked down and I see an, on DVD, Fire Down Below, and I went, damn it. <laughs> Doesn't Fire Down Below sound like the name of, like, an old 1970s health video? Yeah, it really does. I mean, For one STDs? Of those, one of those things they made you watch in class. Yeah. It's just they awful. Would, they pull the projector down. This is Jimmy. Jimmy's experiencing... A fire down below. And then you kind of fell asleep until you heard the... Because the film was out, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was that was wonderful. Thank you. When you were in high school, did you ever have to run the projector? No. No? No. I sat as far away from the projector as possible. But, I mean, overall, let's... You know, we talked about, I think, in depth and in detail. Really quick, I want to say my favorite, one of my favorite parts, my favorite lines in the movie, though, in the documentary was when Kevin Smith, they asked him... You know who would you like to see direct Superman live? Oh, this yeah. is when he was. This is when he was still hired on the sh- on the movie, and he and he was a writer. He said, "I'd really love to see Tim Burton because I love what he did with Batman." And he was. Like, it was then when I mentioned Tim Burton that was my official "fuck you, fat boy, you're fired" moment. And then Tim Burton gets hired, and he's like, "So I go back to them, I'm like, and they go, so Tim Burton's directing Superman Lives,' and he goes, "Oh, he's like." Am I hired again? No, you're still fired. <laughs> One of my favorite parts was when they were talking about how angry Burton is at Joel Schumacher for ruining oh, yeah. his Batman franchise, and that because of Batman and Robin failing so miserably, he wasn't able to make Superman live, so he hates <laughs> Joel Schumacher with a fiery passion. That's the fire down below for Tim Burton right there. Exactly. Joel so, Schumacher. So what would you rate this? God, it's so hard to rate it because... Because it's a documentary because it's not like an actual... Yeah. ...thing. I mean, it's very difficult because it was... As a documentary, you got to give it like almost a 9 or a 10 because it gave you so much insight into every aspect of what made this movie almost happen, what made it not happen, and what made it what would have been a, either 
a huge success or a colossal failure. So as far as what documentaries are supposed to do, and that's take you behind the scenes, give you all the information you didn't know, it was spot on. I'm going to give this, I got to get, because, you know, as somebody who's directed, I've directed documentaries, I've, you know, created them as well, and, I've, and stuff like that. The important thing of a documentary is, does it educate you? Does it open your eyes to certain things you may have never thought you would have, you know, known? And that's what this does. And what's about, great about this is, and this is the big thing with documentary filmmaking, is why I don't like watching a certain amount of documentaries or certain types, is because they have an angle. The director always has an angle. Like, yeah. we're going to be anti this or pro this. Yeah. This was, I got to give credit. Where credit's due. John Schnapp, who was the director and writer of this documentary, phenomenal job of keeping everything in the middle. Yeah, there's zero bias at all. There's zero bias. And there's but there and the only bias I could say, and the only thing was bias, it was just showing who John Peters was as a person. There's oh, a scene yeah. where he's in the middle of this interview and the phone rings, and Peters takes Two phone calls in the middle of this interview with, with while they're John. shooting, by the way. Yeah, and John's just sitting there drinking his water, and it's just like, wow, it's such a dick move. But it's why you leave it in there. It's because again, it wasn't. It, it was just a show, kind of giving you an idea of who these certain people are. And like when he's yeah. talking, like Tim Burton is my favorite director of all time. And I don't care who goes after me for saying it. I just love what he did. I talked about it before on previous shows. I'm not going to dive into it again. But just hear him talk about this and just what he wanted to do. And you have John Peters again. Remember what you said, James, where you say for everything, you know, Burton would say or somebody would say, a writer, whomever, of how they wanted to take this movie and Superman lives. And here's Peter saying, you know what? I want his cape. And they'd be able to throw his cape like, a, like you know, like to be able to, uh, to, to decapitate people with it, like a, like a yeah, throwing star. Yeah, cut people's star. heads off with the cape. That makes a lot of and sense. And return it like it's Kung Lao's hat. And, uh, yeah, uh, this is, to me, this is 10 out of 10 razor sharp capes. Wow, that's uh, that's high praise. That's cutting right to the meat that, of the thing it, right there. That, that's some high praise. So coming up next, we've got some nerd news that's going to be coming at you on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Wynn Everett, and I'm from Marvel's Agent Carter, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time to grab your Pokeballs. It's time to go around the internet and see what's trending, because it's time for what? Nerd <laughs> News! I really thought that would be more high-pitched than it was. Nerd News! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, the biggest thing that happened this week, uh, of course, deals with Pokemon, because Pokemon Go is finally available in seven countries, and it's huge. You want to know how huge? Almost every story we see about this game, this, this you know, mobile game, it's on Android and, and, and iPhones, servers are being crashed pretty much everywhere. And didn't you kind of have to see this coming? I mean, you give Pokemon fans a unique experience like this that you pretty much haven't had before and have been anticipating forever... And then you, you think, oh, we got this covered. We've got plenty. And then, like, double the amount of people you expected to get the app this quickly automatically get it in, what is it, seven countries, I think? Yeah. And then down go the servers. Yeah, and I mean, it's so big. I mean, this thing is big. If people who don't know what Pokemon Go is, it's pretty much, okay, you had the original picture. Remember Pokemon Game Boy when it came out in 1996? Yeah, yeah. Well, what it is is take that, Put it on a phone and make the real world your training and battleground. 
And so, parents, you can be walking around, for example, this is totally local, but you can be walking around, if you're in Virginia Beach, if you're walking around Town Center. And, I mean, there was people I knew who, who are friends of mine who are like, it's 2 a.m., I'm walking around Town Center catching Pidgeys and stuff like that, you know? It's like, it's just amazing. You can walk anywhere in the U.S. and just like, oh, there's a Pokemon there, there's a Pokemon there. You can catch them and train them and, you know, trade them and everything else like that. Uh, you're on a tour of the White House, and then all of a sudden you look to the left <laughs> and go, wait a minute. Yeah, right. Wait a minute. I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to break from the group for just a second. I got to get this Pokemon over here. Yeah, you're in, you're in the situation room and you're just like somebody's just walking around. And they, you know, or the president's walking around and it's just like, what are you doing? Look, there's a Caterpie in the corner. You didn't see that? Could you imagine that? Like during one of the presidential press conferences or something, you see somebody just get up and randomly start walking around the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you go to a giant stadium. There's the ghost Pokemon of Jimmy Hoffa underneath the 20 uh, yard line. Go up to his nose and go boop. <laughs> there was one right there sorry keep going continue right you're in the middle of like having sex and you're just like oh oh what 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 oh it's a sparrow it's a sparrow <laughs> <laughs> why you'd be holding your phone at that particular moment is totally up uh, to you'd you be, you'd be surprised <laughs> in this day and age <laughs> you're just going at it and all of a sudden you just see like a fucking butterfree just sitting in the corner or an alakazam is just sitting in the corner watching this is not midnight in paris <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you know with with this game i mean i'm debating whether to download it or not because it's kind of like do i really do i really need this like do i really like it'd be cool but it's like i still well, game boy in my games i mean you know that and you've only got the one arm so yeah i mean and and, and you, I mean, I just, I'm picturing people walking around, like you said, at, at random times and just running into things or other people or just walking into the street because they see it there and they don't well, look I mean, at the bust that's coming. Well, I mean, if there's, if there's one group of people that's really, really happy about this, people who wear like the tight pants and skinny jeans, because now they can fit like, they don't have to worry about how many Pokeballs they can fit or trying to push into, you know, skin go. tight pants and, and cargo pants are now a thing of the past those are going to be out i'm sure they're out already and have come back six times but i don't know I'm not, <laughs> pretty much i don't but, do i don't do the fashion thing. right but but with the game though i mean this is this is i'll say this from a technical standpoint it is pretty am- amazing to be able to walk around oh absolutely and, and, and just spot you know and be in really really in real life immerse yourself in this pokemon world in a pokemon filled world uh, but there is some dangers that come with that, though, and they do have to be highlighted because there was a story about, I think it was in California or whatever, uh, police are warning people, like, hey, you know, they're worried, they're worried about, you know, people, if you're walking, and, or if you're sitting like New York City where people walk, and you have somebody, like, running up behind you, mm-hmm. and you don't know, you don't know who they are or whatever, and it's like, it'll freak people out, and it's it'll like, oh, I, me out. you know, it'll run people, you know, run to catch a rat hat or something like that, you know, and it's just like, uh, you know, and then in Australia, the police had a parents tell them like, "Hey, apparently our police station is a uh, is a like a Poke Center or whatever like that, or a Pokemon place, like a sanctuary of some sort. Mm-hmm. Don't come in, don't come here because not the best are, idea. People are like, we're crowding it, they're trying to get inside, and it's like not the best idea. So, so play Pokemon Go and catch Pokemon at your own caution. Yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty of places where you can go and catch Pokemon." You, you don't need to go to, like, the top of the Empire State Building or something and, and go towards the ledge to catch a Pokemon. I mean, there's, there's use common sense. Just like people that are texting and walking. I hate that. Right. You don't drive and catch Pokemon either. And I know we shouldn't have to say these things. Somebody's going to do this, okay? Going don't back do to, that. 
going going back to, to where you can find this. Can you imagine, like, you're in church, and you're seeing his eyes on the sparrow, and there's a fucking sparrow, like, flying around? You never know, man. I'm just I'm just saying. It's hard enough to sit, get kids to sit still in church as it is. <laughs> and how are you going to do this? <laughs> but uh, uh, speaking of things that were well, are games and based off of things, uh, The Warriors was a 1979 film. Of course, you know, if you want to talk about you know, gang rivalries and everything else in a, in a movie that really is idolized and has one of the most famous, famous lines of all time. Well, apparently the Russo brothers, they're going from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the Warriors. You know, it's funny because this movie was kind of like one that I stumbled on on accident when I was younger. Of course, it was, you know, made the same year I was born. So right. I couldn't have seen it in theaters or anything. But like when we had HBO when I was younger, it's a movie I sort of stumbled across you know, in the time where, you know, like the Kung Fu movies are really big and martial arts movies are really big. For some reason, this is a movie I just kind of gravitated towards and always and always loved. So, of course, when there was a game, I was excited about that. Now that I know they're going to bring it to TV, I'm thinking, okay, I don't necessarily think we need to keep rebooting everything and bringing everything back. But this works on well, television. Yeah. Well, especially well, if you think about it, too, it's it's. They're teaming up, the Russo brothers are, with Paramount TV and Hulu. So they're going to tap into a one-hour television drama. And you're coming off a civil war where you had to bring in all these people from the you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe and put them against one another. Now you're taking all these different gangs in the 70s and everything else, and you put them in one spot. So who, who else better to, to do this you know, than the Russo brothers? Right, and, and doing it on TV allows you to give the attention to not have to cram everybody into right. one episode, you know what I mean? You can actually space it out, and I'm sure that it'll probably be 13 episodes. I don't think they've actually Give uh, confirmed a, how many episodes yeah. it's going to be, but usually with stuff like this, it's 10 or 13. So that's kind of like the perfect amount to be able to tell the story. And if you're betting on, if you're playing the long game and you're betting on multiple seasons, then that's even better. Right, and I've got to tell you, man, this, if, this this week in general has been a great week if you're if you're a fan of Warriors because you got Kevin Durant going to Golden State and now the Warriors are coming to Hulu and yep, TV. There you go. It's all coming up, Warriors. Right? <laughs> it's all coming up. <laughs> Everything's coming up, Millhouse. <laughs> and speaking of Marvel and Civil War, going to the comic book realm when it comes to Marvel, a, a series that was popular back in the day, decades ago, was Champions and. For a while, it hasn't been around. Well, Marvel announced this week, hey, we're bringing back champions. And guess what? We're introducing an entire new team of champions. Of, of And not just a team of cha- new team of champions, but of, it's going to be composed of characters that people really have grown to love really quickly. Yeah, I mean, Miss Marvel is, the, is right at the top of that list. And everybody's always been a huge fan of Miles Morales. So that version of Spider-Man is going to be in this. Nova, who's kind of like a, a closet favorite for a lot of people. You don't hear a lot of chatter about Nova, but everybody seems to love Nova. And as far as new characters, we're going to get the Totally Awesome Hulk. Hulk we're going to get Vision. And we're going to get, I think, younger Cyclops, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's what it is, it's, it's younger Scott Summers. I believe he's from like another realm or something like that from what I've read. It's, and he's being brain being brought back into here and this is literally how they phrased him how he's going to be in the first few issues they, the guy the writer actually said i believe mark wade's doing mark this. wade yeah and he said that scott summer's gonna be like little hitler pretty much <laughs> yeah that's that's gonna be great that's what I he's mean, gonna be like to the to the the, the the rest of the group 
and, and and that's going to be interesting to see who tries to kind of take that leadership role in time. It's, you know, especially like like with Damian taking over the Teen Titans coming up from DC right. Rebirth in September. It's going to be the same sort of thing. So it'll be very interesting to see how these books kind of parallel each other because there are similar themes there. And I think that both teams that they've comprised here are, are very interesting. So I like that Marvel's decided to go this route and bring this book back. Plus you bring your putting all these popular characters together when let's face it, the Avengers series in, in comics, it hasn't been the best lately for the, for the main squad. So let's bring a new squad in some younger guys, not only try to attract some younger viewers, but try and tell a little bit different of a story. Right. And what I love about this is that, and why I'm actually interested in reading this is because you just look at the cover, like they released the cover of it. It's just a diverse cast of characters. You know what I'm saying? Like you have, you know, Kamala Khan, you have Amadeus Cho, you have, you know, Viv Vision, and you have Miles Morales. It's just, it's not like, you know, a group of just people who look look the same. So it's going to get people both young and I think even older who are come from different backgrounds and, and to read this, you know. Well, it's it, a different realms thing too. It's, it's yeah. all different like power sets and skill sets and, you know, where, they, where they've come from kind of thing. So they've really found a nice mosaic to put together here. Oh, exactly, man. And again, this is going to be coming up in the fall. And again, when they said what they're going to do with, with Cyclops is, they're like, yeah, everything his adult self has done is going to be pretty much put into this because it's like, we know he's done, his adult self has done some, some serious things. Oh, yeah. And so that's why when he comes in and he's going to be kind of like that, that kind of, you know, rough around the edges type of a guy. And so, again, Champions is pretty, pretty interesting. And, you know, it's been a week for Marvel as well. Of course, we've got the new Iron Man, which the suit looks exactly the same, by right. the way. If you haven't seen the suit yet, Comic Book Resources put it up. Looks exactly the same. So, I mean, I've kind of figured it out that Marvel's kind of, I think that they should just go all in, man. Let's go all in. With these changes, I know I've been kind of critical in the past. Let's go all in with the changes. Let's try and get some new readers, some younger readers. Because I've criticized Marvel for that in the past, too, not getting younger readers. But then let's keep, like, one book. It doesn't have to be, like, 50 books. Give us one book of, like, the classic characters. And then do what you want with the rest. I, I think that that could actually work. Maybe that's what Marvel now is going to be. Well, well, again, they they always also announced this week that Thor, the original Thor, is going to be back as well in, in his own series. And... You know, the thing is, is you look at that and build up what you just said. I think what they're doing is this. And this is, I think, really, really smart by Marvel. They're doing things like with Amadeus Cho and Ms. Marvel and Nova and stuff like that to get the younger audience in there, to get these newer readers. Because and, they really didn't do that. Yeah, and, and again, to show the diversity aspect. But then for people who are very like, oh, down, who are sadly down with diversity, they're like, wait. We're bringing back, you know, we have these other books with these classic characters, so don't worry. You I'm know? not even sure it's that much about diversity as it is that they're, they're, people are upset that Marvel keeps changing things in general. It's not, it's like nothing's allowed to just let let it settle. Nothing's right. allowed and to I get past, that, like, issue 13. So well, I don't think I know, it's as much about diversity well, as it is constant change. Well, I, I know in, in the past I've been critical, but now I'm looking at, like, the way things are being written over there and stuff like that, I think what they're doing is just it's a matter of just throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. And, and, and I think the one thing that people need to realize, and I think this is really important, because and, and I had this epiphany when I was thinking about this earlier today, not every book's going to be for you. No. You know what I mean? Just like the Ninja Turtles movie is not necessarily going to be made for you, so you either like it or you don't. And So if a book's not for you, it doesn't mean it's a sucky book or it's a bad book or it's a bad idea. It just means it's not for you, and that's fine. Right, and when I mentioned the whole throwing things against the wall concept, that's what comics is. You take yeah. pitches, you take ideas. Okay, 
uh, throw them against the wall. So even though, you know, even though again, back, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you look at drastic changes to certain characters. It's like, but really, they're not erasing the mythology or things you knew from your older characters. Yeah. It's just. And, they come there, and you gotta admit, even as readers, there comes a certain point where certain characters can't evolve anymore. Like you've no. got, you've done everything you can with them, you've exhausted them. So now you have to look at, okay, who can take the reins and who can do it. Like I honestly, I like what Marvel's doing with Iron Man. Well, and think about it: ten different people have worn that Iron Man suit. Okay, right. Let's put that in perspective. Right, and that's the people say, "Oh, Tony Stark." It's like, it's like, it's like you do know that. As you mentioned, a lot of people have worn the suits, right? Like, not just Tony. It's been different people, you know? And so it's not like they're bound, you know, like Deadpool will always be Deadpool, you know? But it's like there's certain people who are just like they're not tied to a certain identity. Right, and not only that, but think about this. Batman Beyond turned out to be a great idea. Right. And people were critical of that as well early on, before we even really knew anything, because that's just where the nerd culture works. We get we, people get angry before they even know any of the details. That's just going to happen, right? So let's at least let, let's at least let an issue come out. And quite frankly, if the book doesn't sell, it's going to go away, right? So just like just like Thor, I mean, the the book wasn't really selling well after the initial push, so it's going away. So that if if it doesn't sell, it'll just go away and it'll go back to something else. Right, and so speaking of books, we're going to go to Boom Studios, and you know we mentioned I believe on the show a while back, and sometimes throughout different shows, how we were fans of wrestling, like the WWF era, Attitude Era, wrestling stuff like that. Well, Boom Studios has made a couple of announcements this week. They said, "Guess what? We're partnering with the WWE to bring out some WWE comic books." Now, I know the people saying, WWE's already had comic books. Yeah, they did. They did some in the 90s, and they've done some with Titan recently. But this is going to be totally different. They're actually going to publish several comics and graphic novels, according to the LA Times. And i got to tell you, man, I mean, some people would look at that and say, what are they going to do with this? But I think that there's a laundry list of possibilities. I have one right off the top of my head. What? I would make a book, and this is copyright down and nerdy podcast, by the way. I would do a book... Playing off the fans, I would do a book called John Cena Sucks. <laughs> Follow me on this. Okay, so John Cena, it's, it's John Cena, and in his in-ring life, everything's going right. You know, he's the, you know, he's the on-again, off-again champion, and he's still one of the top stars in the industry. But his outside-the-ring life, nothing goes right. He's cursed with bad luck. John Cena Sucks. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it's kind of like, in the ring, he's awesome, everything's great, but he walks out, it's like... He just has all his bad luck kind of coming to him. So he's like, so he pretty much making him like this muscular bad luck Brian comic. Pretty much, exactly. So like his his car keeps breaking down, <laughs> and he can't he can't or keep like, a woman and stuff like, like that. Or like he has like a, a main event match at WrestleMania, and his car won't start. He's and his match is like in like ten minutes, you know, or something like that. He gets so. in the hotel bed and it breaks. He's cursed with bad luck. John Cena sucks. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. You know who I like to see have a comic. I'm going back, man. I mean, I'm going. I would like, honestly, because it'd be pretty interesting, a Gold Dust comic or Dunk the Clown comic. That I think a Gold Dust comic would be exceedingly entertaining. <laughs> I really do because there are so many different things. Well, that you he, could well do he's that. very creepy. So you know what I'm saying? Make him a studio executive. Do can that, you, like a you, Hollywood executive. Can you imagine? Okay, can you? I just saw this. Can you imagine a Gold Dust adaptation of Stephen King's It? 
Oh, wow, that would be weird. <laughs> but it would, would be work. weird. It would work. <laughs> it would be really weird. That would be cool, actually. I mean, even if they did, like you said, like a, a doink version of that. There was evil doink, don't forget. Yeah, there was. We doink, had evil dink. doink, so I, that would be very interesting. <laughs> I, I, there's so many possibilities. Or like... Or like... <laughs> or, or, or like do like a wild one set like in the west or something like that and like undertaker is like legit undertaker of the town <laughs> and then you you could bring back the smoking guns billy gun and bart gun and put them in there <laughs> right see <laughs> see sam then, houston put him in there see, and like and like the the big bad one could be the road dog jesse james you know there's been 60 <laughs> cowboy characters that they <laughs> They had, uh, like, Hawk Bradshaw when, before he was JBL, it was Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Right. And wow, then, that's going deep. And then, like, like a Dukes of Hazzard, we'd be like, them Dudleys is at it again. There you go. There's so, <laughs> there's so many, man. And, and, of course, WWE has the rights to pretty much every past character they have. So right. transfer those rights over to Boom Studios. Well, not transfer the rights, but, you know, share the rights. And share let it go rights, nuts, yeah. man. I mean, because you could sell some books. And the second story that came out that had to do with Boom is that, you know, Fox is adapting a Boom Studios comic, and they casted its lead character. They casted James Badge Dale, who's be playing the Empty Man. And Cullen Bunn's at it again, man. I mean, this guy, <laughs> it just seems like there's always, he was actually, it was actually written by him and illustrated by Vanessa Del Rey, by the way, but the, the script is going to be done by somebody else. But you know Cullen's going to have his hands in this, so everything's coming up Cullen now, too. We were talking about the Warriors earlier. Everything's coming up Cullen. He's got the Harrow County series that's going to be starting. Now this, I know he's got a couple of other things in the pipeline. I mean, it's an interesting story. I mean, it centers around an ex-cop that's kind of, you know, plagued by the death of his wife and his son, which he's kind of seen before. But then all of a sudden, he gets pulled into this, you know, there's some sinister presence around him, classic Cullen. So, what do you think? Are you kind of excited about this? It's Cullen, so yes. And... <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how can you not? You know No, I mean, I mean exactly. And, and Boom is really, like, lately, I just want to say this, Boom... We have a really good relationship with them, and I just got to say, they've been hitting it out of the park with their stuff lately. I mean, yeah, Power yeah. Rangers has been amazing. It's just everything that they've been putting out and producing has been amazing, and I can't wait to see this on the big screen. And, you know, again, production starts this fall in South Africa, which is being, you know, which is kind of they want to eye the start date. Great setting, too. And Great exactly, setting. exactly. And, you know, so it's going to be really, really... Uh, amazing to to see, and it's going to be really cool to see how they pull this off. I believe this, isn't this the first big boom comic? I would say it's being adapted. As far as feature film, as far as feature film, yes. I mean, I think that they've got some some TV stuff in the pipeline. They have done some other stuff in the past that that weren't adaptations. I mean, like they've got the Kong Skull Island comic that's going right. to be coming out. You mentioned Power Rangers. They have some some prop licensed properties, but as far as their own books, I think this is going to be the first major motion picture. Uh, that I mean, and they might have a couple of other things. I'd have to dig in and see what they might actually have in production. But as far as major motion pictures with a studio like Fox, yes. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. But come up next, we've seen Alien vs. Predator. We've seen it on the big screen. We've even seen it in comics as well. But guess what? Judge Dredd, a new challenger, has pressed start. His name is Judge Dredd. We're going to talk with John Lehman, who is the writer of Predator vs. Judge Dredd vs. Aliens next on the Down Nerdy Podcast. My name is Bo Smith. I'm the creator of Wine Owner Earth, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
There are just certain titles that when you see them, they jump off the page. So when Nick and I were going through our emails and we saw Predator versus Dread versus Aliens, we're like, no, this can't be true. But it was. And we have the writer of that series, Eisner Award winner, John Lehman. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, doing just fine today. So we've kind of seen the whole Predator versus Aliens thing done before. But were you as excited as we were when you found out that kind of Judge Dredd was going to be thrown into the mix as well? Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, Ju- I've got like a bucket list of things that I want to do. And Judge Dredd has been on there for, for quite a while. And, and uh, IDW is aware of that. I got a really good relationship with IDW. And uh, like the timing wasn't right or the pitch wasn't right. You know, I- I'd been dancing with them on Judge Dredd for a while. And they're like, well, you know, someone else is doing the, the-, the relaunch of this latest series. We got this mini you might want to do and then they're like judge dread versus aliens versus predator and uh yeah i mean that's you know it's too good to be true and you know it helped idw knew me and i had i've done it i did it i had just come off you know within the last year or two a uh an aliens inhuman condition book by me and sam keith so i was kind of a known quantity to fox and, and dark horse on the aliens franchise editors pitch things that try to make their lives easy so, you know, they knew I, I knew and, and liked Dread, and they knew that I was familiar with the Aliens franchise, so they threw it at me. And, and John, there's a character in the book who's really, really creepy. His name's Dr. Reinstadt, and he does something in the first issue that literally made me gasp when I saw it. So what is it about writing and creating somebody who has a god complex that's most interesting to you? I wanted to have the Aliens come out in a different way, and I thought, you know, rather than you know, the, the, the eggs, you know, I needed a believable way and right. a different way. So, you know, I, I propose this guy who's, uh, you know, basically, uh, making, making an alien appear out of a hat that, you know, the hat being DNA and, uh, you know, really it, it just made, it made you be able to bring the aliens into the story in a different way. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm just p- picturing like there's going to be a scene with him, like in Jurassic Park where they're like on some sort of ride and it's like, Alien DNA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, what's funny is he's already this kind of Dr. Moreau character. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very animals. Much so. And, and he's, uh, you'll learn later, and this is pretty obvious, he's injected himself with spider DNA. Yep. So, you know, he, he likes messing with DNA. So you give him, like, kind of the most perfect, you know, evolutionary killing machine that's ever existed uh, and give him the, you know, you're basically giving him the, the keys to the genetic Mercedes. Oh, absolutely. And while we're reading this book, I mean, when you're doing a crossover like this with another publisher, of course, working with IDW in 2000 AD and with Dark Horse as well now, do you kind of feel like you can make these characters your own when you're bringing them over? Or do you kind of try and stay true to the kind of vibe that they go with with each publisher? You've got to color within the lines of any licensed book. And, and you know, I, I, that... That extends to Superman and, and Batman. You got you got to stay true to the characters, or a you're not being fair to the franchise, and b you're not being fair to the fans. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they come expecting to see a certain thing. Now that being said, Judge Dredd's world is very different from the the Aliens Predator world, so it, it tends to be kind of a little wackier and crazier. So it you know it's just kind of like a a license to have a, a, a lot of crazy fun. You know, we only allude in the first issue to Archbishop Emoji. I was going to ask about him, yeah. Uh, who, you know, he comes back in a big way, and he's this robot leader of an apocalyptic death cult. 
that wants to bring death to all the humans. So, uh, you know, you've got aliens, predator, Judge Dread, Cursed Earth, a man, animal, mutants, a mad scientist, and then a robo messiah. I mean, it, it's just bonkers. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I like the way – and the way the series and even its title is constructed, John, it feels and reads literally like a sci-fi version of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So when you hear that comparison, what are your thoughts? That's the first I've ever heard, and I, I completely embrace it and plan to steal it. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> so now when we see it, we'll be like, awesome! We can't yeah, and I'm not going to credit you guys either. No, of course oh, of not. Course. No, yeah. <laughs> That's just kind of how the way it works that sometimes we're talking to Eisner Award winner John Lehman of Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Aliens, which is going to be out from Dark Horse Comics and IDW in 2000 AD on July the 27th, your local shops and digital retailers now. John, when you're talking about these three properties, they're yeah. all pretty much, you could be say that they would be considered hunters. So if you were on your own, which is the least one you would want to be hunted by? Well, probably the alien, just because it's so. It, it is so alien, you know. You know that Judge Dredd, you can you know relate to, especially if you're, uh, you know, if, if you surrender and you follow the law, you can at least maybe be brought in alive. Mm-hmm. And you know the predators do, do kind of have a sense of honor, but you know aliens. Uh, I live in Arizona, and we have a scorpion problem, and. Uh, you look at scorpions, and they're like something out of a you know an H.R. Giger design. I mean, they oh, are yeah. these creepy alien things where you just your skin kind of instinctively crawls when you see them. And you know, aliens are that writ large. You know, they're just uh, you know they're just designed to make your skin crawl and kill you. Plus, saying I have a scorpion problem out loud just really isn't a normal thing to say. <laughs> it is in Arizona. I mean, when, when I moved here, we found our first, first scorpion. We were freaking out, and you know, we wow. ran to the neighbors like, "Yep, welcome to Arizona." And, you know, now wow. we, you know, now we go out with they glow under fluorescent lights. So you go with a black light uh, flashlight and a rubber hammer, and you you chalk up a kill count at night. But every once in a while, you get one in the house, and they're as close to you know, kind of the living embodiment of the aliens i've ever seen <laughs> right except they don't wow. have a- except they don't have acid blood when you smash them with a hammer it's not gonna get all over you and burn your skin exactly learning so much from you john <laughs> <laughs> so so john kind of piggy off piggyback offing james's question if you could have dread's lawgiver gun predator's cloaking ability or to transform be able to transform uh part of your body into a xenomorph's tail which one would you choose and why oh you know Probably because I'm a weird creep and I see like possibilities for for crime and and bad things. I'd take the cloak if I could be invisible. I could make all kinds of trouble. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you'd be able to dodge the scorpions easier. So then there's that. You yeah. don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> now, when when you jumped on this book, you're working with Chris Mooneyham, and he does such a great job. And what I loved is each main character set. Seem to get at least one panel where they're allowed to spotlight and really stand out and just jump off the page. So when you're working with major characters like this, especially in a crossover, how important is that to give kind of everybody their due? Uh, I, I mean, it's it's absolutely essential. And and it's funny because I've read a couple reviews. They're like, wait, you know, this kind of sucks. The alien's not, you know, the, the alien's only alluded to in the first issue. You don't see the alien. We're getting ripped off. And I'm like, uh, you guys ever see the first movie? You know, or, yeah. or any any yeah. of the movies? You know, that weren't like, you know, you know, by now they show the, the alien, but, 
you know, there, there is, there is a sense of dread that, that you need, you know, you need to take the first reel and not show the alien to build up the suspense. Right. And plus, uh, you know, what, what you do in this and how you sh- kind of showcase and kind of, you know, give a little bit of a, of a look at the aliens. It's like, like I said, that was that was that, that kind of gas moment. I'm like, oh, no, like 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 you know, it's just it, mm-hmm. it, it was brilliant. Like it brought up that suspense of like insert player three, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing was, you know, I kind of tried to tip things on the scales by you you open with a predator who's actually crash landed and and being hunted, and uh, you know, and eventually you know his buddies come to, to bail him out, and you have a team of predators. But you know, you, you, people are familiar enough with all the you know, all the tropes that it's better to kind of upend expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kind of disagree. I mean, I, I disagree with that review with all due respect to whoever wrote it is that you, you actually do kind of bring them in, but in a different way, it's, it's in a different and unique way and it actually ties things together. So I actually kind of like the way you did it in this first issue. Well, you just straight out don't unleash the alien in the first five minutes of a movie. You don't, right. no. you don't, you don't do that in any horror or disaster movie. You know, you 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 lead up to it. That's just just what you do. Oh yeah, and the, well, the aliens. Why have you seen? I'm a big you know Predators and Aliens fan, and of course Dread as well. But I mean, you know, when I watched Alien for the first time, I'm like, this is like Space Jaws. That's what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know? absolutely. And and that's how you got to treat them. You have to treat them like this mysterious character, and then you know you get a little. Maybe you see a claw, or maybe you see something run in the background. But then when you see it up close and personal, you're like. Holy shit! Like you know, and it catches <laughs> exactly. you off guard. Now that being said, they will appear by issue two. Uh, right. But yeah, I, I, I thought you know the first one is all about you know building anticipation. Oh yeah, exactly. And and you know, speaking of anticipation, uh, you end the way you ended this first issue was was brilliant. And it, and it brought up it was really really done well. And you know, it can be only described by you know the way I see it as like an old man moment, which I, again left James and I both wanting issue two immediately. Uh, as you progress through a series, both as a writer and as a reader, what to you makes the ending of an issue both you know attention grabbing and exciting, and makes you want to get to that next issue? There's two kinds of endings. There's the put the hero in jeopardy ending, which is like you know that's the easy cliffhanger that everyone does. Right. But there's also like the fuck yeah ending where you know oh does this a stand for france where it's like oh this is the bad guy and or this is the the hero and they're going to kick ass and you give somebody one of those two things mm-hmm. and they want to come back they want to get to the next page oh, you know exactly. they either want to see the good guy kick ass or they want to see the the good guy uh get out of you know whatever predicament they're in yeah, or in other books and stuff like that. It's the idea of the cavalries has arrived, you know, and yeah. it's like, what's going to go on from here, you know? But, I mean, you read any book and, you know, any decent book that you like with good cliffhangers and the, the, the ending is some kind of variation on that. Absolutely. Before we let you go, John, I wanted to ask you one more question because we, uh, we were recently with Carl Urban and he was talking about Dread. And oh, he, they man. were trying to decide whether or not he wanted to do a Dread movie or a Dread series on, like, Netflix. So oh. being a huge Dread fan, which would you prefer? Would you want a second movie, or would you like to see a Daredevil-esque Netflix series? You know, I'd actually like to see a uh, – uh, I'd like to see it weekly, because if they could do it – I mean, it's not super high budget. Like, like if you could give me a Star Trek movie with a bunch of explosions every other year – or a series with less explosions and less, 
you know, give me 20 episodes of Star Trek or, or you know, 13 or whatever it's going to be, I'll take the weekly series. You know, if it's one thing if it's Star Wars and it's huge budget and, you know, you need explosions and aliens and effects. But, you know, Dread is, is gritty and, at, you know, end of the day, it, you know, it's, it's some punk looking guys with guns and blood packs and it can be done pretty cheaply. You know, film it in Detroit or something. It could easily be weekly. Did you look at like the Sylvester Stallone dread and then the Carl Urban dread and you're just like, wow, one was totally better than the other? Or do you look at them both and be like, they're both done differently, so you kind of like love them both? I don't remember the Stallone movie. I, I saw <laughs> I saw it once when it came out, which what was 20 years ago at this point? Yeah, at least, yeah. And, and I, my, uh, I guess my kryptonite, whatever the opposite of my superpower is, I can't remember movies. Oh. Like if I've seen a movie a lot or if it's a favorite, but you know, if someone comes to me and like gives kind of some kind of obscure movie quote, you know, from like a <laughs> movie, I'm like, I have no idea. Like if you say, I'll be back, you know, I'll be back. Yeah. I know what that's from. Right. But say something like, like people have come up to me, giving me movie quotes. And I just give them a blank look and, and like something I saw 20 years ago when I probably wasn't sober to begin with. I remember Stallone didn't wear his mask, which seemed, you know, uh, yeah. it, that, mm. you know that that seemed like blasphemy. And I remember Rob Schneider being annoying, and that's all yeah. I take from the movie. 20 that, years. That's <laughs> actually a great summary of the movie. Actually, the, the, the only the, the only like two lines I remember from the Sloan Judge Dredd, of course, when he's standing outside the building and he goes, "I'm the," and then yeah. he's talking to like the main antagonist. He's like. He's arguing with him. Like, you, you killed tons of people and you broke your law. And the guy goes, Aah. and I'm like, oh, it's so cheesy. It's so bad. And now I that being it. said, I've seen the, the Urban movie a few times. I still couldn't give you any quotes, but right. you know, I like that movie. And I well, he, it and, and well, I you would be happy to know that Urban, he actually, when we, when we were with him, he went full dread. It was great. Well, I thought, you know, I thought Anderson was great. I thought, you know, Cersei oh, yeah. Lannister, you know, as, as yeah. you know, whatever her name is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mama. And yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, just the whole movie. And it was it was one of those movies that I saw after the fact, you know, on like, you know, Netflix or I did the same thing, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then I was sitting there and not only did I wish I saw it in the theater, this never happens. I wish I would have saw it in 3D because like the broken glass. And oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's like, and usually I hate 3D movies. So do I, yeah. like, you know what? I This was like uh, seeing Speed Racer, like uh, like kicking myself and wishing I would have seen it in the theater. Well, one thing that you're going to love for sure is Predator versus Dread versus Aliens, which is available July the 27th at your local shops and at digital retailers. Also, check out DarkHorse.com if you want to get a little preview and find out what's going on. It's Eisner Award-winning writer, maybe another on the way. Who knows? John Lehman, <laughs> thank you so much day. for joining us. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for uh, checking out the book. First, there was Schwarzenegger. Then, Glover. Then, Brody. Now, Judge Dread, man. And I got to tell you... If there's anybody, I know people love the first Predator movie, but when you introduce Judge Dredd, you say, guess what, he's going to be taking on these Predators and these aliens. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think, that's what everybody wants. Not only that, but we don't want to spoil this for you, okay? There, was a, there were a few minor spoilers when we were talking to John Lehman, but there are other things at play here. Yeah, that aren't even that that aren't even aliens and predators. That are, this is going to be like we were talking about WWE. This is going to be like the Royal Rumble right. times a million. No, this, this is going to be an epic battle. No, you know what this is going to be? 
this is going to be triple threat match with no holds barred. It's going to be a no holds barred street fight. That's you, what's going to be. You can't put it in a steel cage because it won't be able to contain this. No, it won't. <laughs> but I mean, you look at this, and it's just again we mentioned how it was kind of like the good, the bad, the ugly. When I was reading the first issue, I'm like, oh my god, this is ex- you know the good is dread, the bad is predator, and the ugly is a xenomorph. And I'm like. Oh my God! This is this is amazing. Like this, I love that. I mm-hmm. love th- th- that kind of take when you introduce these kind of characters in this certain setting. And again, the way the first issue ends, you're just like, oh, shit's about to get real. You don't you don't usually get an it's on moment in the at the end of the first issue of a series, even in a limited series. It is on. At the right. end of this first issue. And I gotta give John Lehman a lot of credit. I mean, he's an Eisner Award runner for a reason. And the fact that not only did everybody kind of get their little spotlight, I don't care what that other review said, not only did everybody get their spotlight, but you're, when you're reading this, you're like, oh, this is such a Judge Dredd book. And then you go, oh, this is such a Predator book. And then you see that this is also gonna be such an Aliens book. He's just so honoring Every single bit of each one of these sets of characters that I can't wait for the rest of this thing. Exactly. So, again, thanks, John Lamb, for stopping by. Go pick up on July the 27th, Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Alien. It is amazing. And the art itself is great as well. So much great, phenomenal details in that book. And, again, the writing is just phenomenal from John Lehman. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Don Podcast. Hey, if you want more of us on social media, be sure to hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Don We're also on Twitter as well. I'm at Merck with one arm. The one is spelled out. We're also at Don 757 Mr. James Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. And all of this is tied up into a neat little bow on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. You can read our Written reviews that we do on our website, Nick did Flintstones number one, I did Justice League Rebirth number one, so you can go see what we thought of those books, other than the other reviews we did earlier in the show. You can find out everything that's going on on this week's show, as a matter of fact. Go to the This Week section, the episode will play, and you can say, okay, what did they talk about in nerd news? So if I can see if I want to keep listening. We know you're gonna. You want to keep listening, find out what's coming up, go to downnerdypodcast.com. And I leave you with the same words I do with every week, nerds. Pray safe, comic greeting, always bag and board your comics.